Hello, hello, and welcome back to another uh, love, lovely live stream on Legal Bites. If you are new here, my name is Alita. I'm a lawyer and I'm licensed in California and DC. Um, I don't know why, I'm a little bit blurry right now. For some reason, the background, it's like the camera just wants indie. The camera doesn't want me right now. The camera wants wants to see indie. Uh, hopefully that'll, we can, we can, oh wait, let's, let's try this. Maybe, maybe this will work if I slowly do, eh, eh, maybe, maybe. Maybe that's better. I think that, okay, th I think that's better. Anyway, uh, I'm just kind of talking to myself now, but I have a wonderful guest today. Uh, her name is Gabriella Hoffman or Gabby Hoffman. She is actually a friend of mine, oddly enough, since childhood. Uh, fun, fun story. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and bring her on. So Gabby, how are you? I'm well. I really love retelling this story. And for your viewers, I think they'll find it hilarious that we actually grew up in the same county in California. We both are from South Orange County. Yep. We met for the first time in 1999 at SFO Airport when both of our families were on our way to Lithuania, where we have a lot of immediate roots to. <laughs> I am a little closer by one generation to you. You're second generation American. I'm or one and a half generation. I'm first generation American. Yeah. And we had a crazy flight on Finnish Air <laughs> and it imperiled us. <laughs> And kept us stuck there for like 15 hours. So we yep. always look fondly in my family on that trip. And I yep. tried to avoid SFO. And we actually lost touch for quite a while. Your brother had reconnected with me like five or six years ago. And I was like, Majeka. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Conrad and, and the Majeka siblings. <laughs> so it was great to reconnect then. And we reconnected in person a few years ago when you moved out this way. And we've been in touch ever since. We went to actually the same university. Didn't know that either until yep. we reconnected. <laughs> Although you were a few years ahead of me at UCSD. So a lot yeah. of overlap. And I'm so grateful to share with your viewers about yeah. uh, this really interesting topic about labor law, freelancing, independent contracting work, and so much more. I know a lot of people watching may have thoughts about it. They may be contemplating it. Maybe they are independent contractors themselves. And I think this issue is going to start to have more exposure, especially in 2022. We see a lot of push for uh, labor, um, whether it's in the form of unionization, allowing contractors to, or, uh, workers to collectively bargain things of that sort. So, so much to discuss, and I'm happy to break down what's trending with you today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for, for purposes of like, like YouTube, social media, you've got a lot of people that are content creators, influencers that are on in this space that are, um, I mean, they usually have some sort of a very small business themselves and, a lot of times people are hiring out editors. They're hiring out people to make thumbnails for videos. They're hiring out people to, to do all kinds of little piecemeal things that are part of their, their whole sort of uh, their, their whole uh, set of tasks that they have to do in order to run the business that they're running, however big or small it is, you know, whether you're Phil DeFranco and you're running this whole, like you've got a bunch of people that are like actually, you know, actively regularly working under you, or you're someone a little bit smaller and you're just kind of like, you know, asking for a little bit of help here and there. This is the kind of stuff that could potentially come into play and, and may have an impact on all of these people. Um, Cause we're talking about hiring people out as independent contractors in a lot of a lot of these situations, unless you're much bigger, like a Phil DeFranco or you know Think Media, some of these other like like big channels where people are, uh, you know, where they, where they actually have hired employees because they they have a uh, you know regular income that's been generated 
you know, that kind of stuff. So I think that there, there is a lot of interest for content creators as well as for, you know, everyday people that are, let's say you're running an Etsy shop or let's say you're, you're, you've got, you know, some other kind of a side gig. A lot of people have a lot of, a lot of things that they're, a lot of ways that they're trying to, you know, maximize their income, maximize their, um, their, uh, their, their, you know, overall prospects for, for their, their financial future. And, and so this is one of those ways that these laws can have a really big impact. And it's really puzzling to me that the very act of people engaging in the so-called freelance economy, or rather the gig economy as it's being built, I like to lean on more so the freelance economy, not because gig work is a horrible term. It doesn't accurately portray gig workers. You are working multiple gigs. I myself am a freelancer who has multiple gigs, but I work on a full-time basis. I think people think that you're not working a full-time basis even though you have a higher Rolodex or a bigger Rolodex of clients. But what's puzzling to me is people call this form of work, when you choose to work flexibly, exploitation. Certainly there are instances of misclassification. I have no doubt there is. And if they are, they have to be rectified and fixed. But to take a minor issue in the big scheme of things and blanket statement, like apply it to every single worker, independent worker, especially, or flexible worker, that's going to create a lot of problems. And as you know, in California, we've seen the firsthand effects of what a law like that can do as it relates to how workers are classified. And now workers have to prove they're not employees in California through an ABC test. And I know you'll explain the case that's yeah. sprung this about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's, before we, before we get into uh, the, the individual that we're going to be focusing on and some of the, some of the kinds of, of, of laws that he's talked about and some of the, the policy changes that he's, he's advocated for in the past, which we can probably expect him to advocate for in the future. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background. So, uh, what do you, what do you do on a regular basis? Where can people find you? That kind of stuff. Perhaps unlike most of your guests on the program, I'm not a lawyer and I don't profess to be a lawyer. So I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> But I try to follow laws and dissect laws in my profession as a full-time freelancer. So as a freelance journalist, as part of my one of many responsibilities and kind of tasks that I undertake. So I do a lot of writing and reporting. I've interviewed a lot of prominent people in politics, private sector, different industries, and really have tried to talk about different issues that are not being discussed, including this subject relating to independent contractors. So I love to ask lawmakers, politicians, any prominent people, what their thoughts are on the future of work in this country. And I think it's an important discussion to have. And for me, I tackle, you know, I work in politics. I also work a lot in the outdoor industry. I'm an award-winning outdoor writer. I cover original reporting on topics that people don't like to discuss or have a very kind of biased view towards. So I try to dissect a lot of complex issues in layman's terms so people can understand what's going on and how laws or existing laws in this country as it relates to wildlife conservation, energy use, things of that sort, are there to promote conservation. And if we steep away from that to promote like preservation, which are two very different things, it could create a lot of complications. I also focus on working with even smaller kind of private clients. I've worked with fly fishing lodges. I've worked with startup companies. I worked with a tech company to help with cybersecurity issues. I've worked on political campaigns. I've done public uh, type of sector speaking opportunities in different state legislatures. I worked in Pennsylvania a few years ago to train them about best practices in social media. 
So I've done the whole gamut, what you could think of a freelancer does. And I do this on a full-time basis. And my journey as a freelancer, it wasn't like rags to riches immediately. You don't get rich immediately if you're a freelancer. That's something people have to be aware of. It takes a lot of time. And when you grind and when you dedicate a lot of time and you go through challenges, jump through hoops and struggle a little bit on the way, you really appreciate the success you achieve later on. And so I'm going into my sixth year as a full-time freelancer and I've seen the fruits of my labor materialize. I've started to get higher dollar clients. I really enjoy the independent contractor status I have because I can tell prospective clients and say, well, I want to work with you on a contractor basis because I would lose out on other opportunities to gain financially. And I don't want to be just tied to you guys. Love you guys, but I want to have like more clients to work with because I like to have a diversity of, of workflow and diversity of materials to work with. And so for me, I found that to be a really amenable kind of arrangement for me. And I know lots of other people have found it there found that to be a really desirable arrangement for them. Certainly not everyone can succeed as a full-time freelancer. If you don't complete, let's say what they call the three-year threshold mark successfully, it is really, really hard to pursue this full-time. And even any small business you do, whether you're a one-person business like me, or you're running a brick and mortar small business shop that you eventually want to make into a big business, they say about three years is the time to determine whether or not you want to take your business full-time or really go full throttle with it. And so for me, I was able to hit that three-year mark and just keep on going. And now, despite COVID, I've been able to have steady workflow, have a lot of clients. I have to reject client work now because of my schedule and other commitments that I have. It's a good and problem to have. <laughs> yeah, a good problem to have. And I will kind of conclude by saying this, that I also have um, two fellowships that I do on top of my existing work. And it's largely compensated uh, fellowships, which are phenomenal. And I had to do some uncompensated fellowship work a little bit recently too. And that's fine because I love doing it. I love growing in my experience and my skill set. And I use those to supplement my uh, business work. And I talk about this freelance issue from a labor policy standpoint in great detail through both of my fellowships with the Independent Women's Forum, which is a great outlet for women. We also have a legal center. I can't speak to the legal center, but I know it's a phenomenal shop that we have. And then with the Young Voices Contributor Program, it's for young professionals who support like liberty-minded ideas, whether they're between the ages of 18 to 35. So I still fit in that age group, thankfully. I have a few more years. So I'm now into my <laughs> second uh, semester, you could say, of working with them as a contractor. And same with IWF. So it's great. I get to live out my freelance lifestyle and also try to defend freelancers from a public policy space as well and really fight for them and uh, kind of see unusual coalitions form between Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents, Socialists, what have you. It's actually one of the few unifying issues that brings people together in these really divided times. And that's that's really interesting. Um, and and it kind I mean it, it makes sense because it's this is like this is one area of law that really impacts everyone, right? Because everybody has to make we all need money. We all need some kind of a resource to 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 you know buy things so that we can live, right? So, you know, most people have to rely upon some form of income for that. Um, so employment, employment law, these kinds of, of employment issues, um, in, independent contractor issues, um, these really do affect a lot of people. So I, I guess it, it makes sense that that would be one of these sort of politically intersecting, um, uh, areas. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've had tons of really interesting conversations, uh, with, with a lot of different people, uh, to that, to that effect. 
There have been a lot of conversations. I talk to people on the left side of the spectrum who really feel voiceless. They feel like their party elders are not listening to them. And they are looking to people who are Republicans and conservatives like me for answers and for help and for pushing out their concerns. And this really should be a bipartisan issue. It's pretty concerning to me that very few elected Democrats now, with some exceptions, have said, yes, we're going to defend your right to independently contract or to be a part-time gig worker. So I think there is grassroots interest among Democrats and people on the center left who want to safeguard their livelihoods. And I talk to a lot of people who identify that way politically at the grassroots level too, who just are completely frustrated that only one party is boldly defending your right to work flexibly and and to be kind of a, a free worker in a sense, like a worker not tied down to a nine to five job. Right, right. So on that note, uh, let's talk about some of your writing, shall we? <laughs> uh, we Go have this it. article here that you just wrote. Let me share my screen if I can uh, da, 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 right here. Uh, here we go. Uh, you wrote this on January 11th, just recently, because uh, there is a nominee to the uh, labor the Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division Administrator, uh, David Weil. He's the he's the nominee. He was the he was he held that position under the Biden administration, and now the Obama I'm sorry, yeah. excuse me. <laughs> Same, same, right? Um, the Obama administration and now the Biden administration has nominated him for that same role. Um, and you wrote this this really great article talking about kind of some of his policies under under his uh, his administration, so to speak, um, in that role, and kind of a lot of the stuff that he's that he's uh, been talking about here as well. So why don't why don't we talk about it? Yeah, I love that you can do this, and you're going to have to. Explain to me how StreamYard works. I started to explore it a bit, but I love the fact that we can talk about this in real time and scroll through yeah. the article. And for me, I really fell to this issue by accident. Like I said, because I'm a freelancer, I normally don't focus on labor. I focus on natural resources, kind of other pet issues, Second Amendment, things that are a little more discussed, but this is a little more opaque for people. And when I noticed that he was being considered and no one was talking about it, I kind of thought to myself that someone needs to discuss him a bit more and who better than a freelancer who would be impacted by his potential rulemaking that he would do should he be returning to the agency. And I was reading through some of his past remarks, some of his administrator uh, observations. They're called AIs. They're like memos for the agency. I can't recall the, the exact term of it off the top of my head right now, but they're called AIs and they're memos. And he issued several of them relating to independent contractors, the joint employer rule, and the, I think um, there's a third caveat that I talked about in the article as well. And these this was during his tenure between 2014 and 2017. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, perfect. You're scrolling it. So he and issued an administrative interpretation. interpretation yes. Yeah. That falsely oh. claimed that worker misclassification was a root problem in the workplace. And he concluded, as I mentioned here in the article, that law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is what he would use or what he would tweak to change how workers are or classified, he believes that you should use an ABC test to determine if a worker is an independent contractor or employee. And when you use an ABC test, for those of you unfamiliar, it makes you a default employee unless you can 
competently prove, and you'll have to jump through hurdles and prove through somewhat difficult means if you are an independent contractor. So it makes it harder for workers to be free of traditional employee employer arrangements. So he's written memos about his desire to look into options like an ABC test. And I've seen some writings from him saying that he would like Congress to implement a ABC test. And as you know, in California, the ABC test has been extremely disastrous. I've never seen a law go into effect so quickly and enact so much pain onto its residents like that of AB, AB5. And actually, mm -hmm. the chief author of AB5 just resigned from the legislature, interestingly enough, to lead one of the biggest big labor organizations in California. So it's interesting what will happen with the future of AB5 and kind of her machinations, given her... Or, what she did in her tenure, if uh, California lawmakers move away from what she did and kind of undo the damage that AB5 caused, even with the carve outs with uh, Prop 22. And there was another bill too that was signed by Gavin Newsom to stop the damage, so to speak, but that mm -hmm. didn't really stop the bleeding, as I know in my article. And so it's really interesting. He kind of wants to take California's model and export it nationwide. And that's what actually even the new labor secretary, Marty Walsh, wants to do. He hasn't really boldly come out and say it, but he has said we would like to explore these options. You haven't really heard any affirmation for independent contractors. There's, I think, lockstep in wanting to pursue this, unless I'm reading this entirely wrong, but I haven't seen any commentary from either the chief labor guy, like I said, Marty Walsh, or this potential com confirmed nominee, David Wall, to come back to his old job to give assurances to freelancers of which there are 59 million strong and growing or about 36% of the workforce compared to about 8, 10.8% that are unionized uh, workforce participants. And so it's, it's really interesting how they really want to appeal to this special interest group, big labor, which is very powerful. I was reading somewhere that they have like $11 billion available to them through dues, union paying dues, and other fees that are collected from unionized members. So they're not a weakened force. They're actually really powerful, even though it's not really reflected in the workforce. But they have mm -hmm. a lot of money and a lot of sway, especially with the Biden administration. And they were responsible for electing Biden to office. And Biden has supported and given a nod to AB5 on Twitter. He's even supported the PRO Act and different statements he's made since being elected to office, inaugurated into office more accurately. He has said he wants to see Congress pass the PRO Act in some form or fashion. He's frustrated that it hasn't passed because yeah. of his focus on having and encouraging or rehabilitating union jobs, which are languishing because the market is moving away from that old framework. We're not in the 1930s anymore. It's 2022. A lot of things have changed. Workforce conditions have improved. But workers are not monolithic anymore. It's not people working in the steel factories, people working in coal mines as unionized workers. Although those professions are greatly noble and I feel like a lot of them, especially energy workers who are unionized, don't feel like they have their interests heard given the fact that Keystone Pipeline was canceled. Uh, a little bit unrelated to this discussion. Yeah. But uh, you see a lot of push for big labor policies and, and pro-labor doesn't necessarily mean pro-worker. That's something I want to convey to your audience here because you're going to see, and you already are already initially seeing the conflation of, well, this is pro-labor, therefore it's pro-worker. But you mm -hmm. hear from a lot of workers like me, even beyond me, 
more serious workers and people who have far more clout probably than I do and who've worked in freelancing a lot longer than I have who've said, well, workers can't be uh, classified or lumped into a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not legally sound to do. You can't do it because there's no appetite to classify all workers as one and the same because we're such a individualistic, I would say, country. All people can't be deemed the same when you when it comes to any other area. Like, I don't think you can regulate everyone equally in certain industries because there are different skill sets, there's different interests, there's different experience levels. So it'd be really hard for the government to come in and say, you all are employees. When in fact, I'm not an employee. I'm not working for one company full time. I'm working for four or five, maybe six companies on a large scale basis, smaller scale basis per right. project, per diem basis. And so I shouldn't be regulated as an employee or classified as an employee because my work does not reflect that. And I think a lot of other independent workers are also conveying the, their frustrations with these desires, whether it's through regulatory fiat under David Weil, potentially returning to his old seat or seeing Congress potentially weigh in on this. Actually, Congress passed the federal version of AB5, which is known as the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, in the House of Representatives the last two years. It's which actually is the, the PRO Act that you were referring to yes, earlier. Yes, the PRO Act, yes. And that bill has actually been stonewalled in the Senate because of three Democratic holdouts to the two Arizona senators and then actually one of my senators, Mark Warner, who has a business experience, uh, business background and who's very concerned about reclassifying independent contractors as employees, interestingly enough. So I appreciated his sentiments there. But we don't anticipate Congress even passing it because it's so gridlocked, which is encouraging to me from an independent standpoint. But observers will be like, well, if you change the filibuster rule, then you can see something like this happen. But as it stands right now, pending no changes to the filibuster, God willing, you won't see this ram through in Congress. So I think people have to focus their efforts on David Wall coming back potentially to the Department mm -hmm. of Labor and what he will do. I think I talked to you before we went to the air that there was a memorandum of, of understanding signed between the Department of Labor and the National Labor Relations Board to crack down on so-called misclassification cases as it relates to joint employer rules, as it relates to independent contractors or employee-employer relationships. So they will look to the regulatory means to change employment law, to change how workers are classified, potentially if Congress does not take that effort yeah. into their own yeah. hands. So you have to, it, from a legal standpoint, there's going to be a lot of litigation perhaps to counter the efforts, counter any rules changes that they enact. So this is something I think lawyers will be really, really impressed upon to look into, maybe take a second look at and and really start to talk to the, uh, their friends who are freelancers and, and ask for their concerns and maybe lend some legal help if, if necessary. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think there's, there's a lot, there's a lot here to definitely talk about with, with regard to laws. So, so just so, so that people that are watching understand when we're talking about the ABC test, we're talking about a, a, a change in the standard of, of the law that's applied as, as the, uh, as courts analyze the situation as to whether someone is properly classified as an employee versus an independent contractor. Now, when I was studying for the California bar, the standard was, uh, it, I, I don't remember precisely because I've been so focused on everything that happened with 
the Dynamics case in AB5. So it's like I, my, 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 my memory has been a little bit wiped, but uh, so it's like I kind of have to review the, 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 the earlier days, the olden times, right? But it had, it had a lot to do with how much the employer had control over the, mm-hmm. uh, over the, over the worker, you know, do they, do they require them to wear a uniform? Do they, mm-hmm. do they require them to, do they have, you know, certain requirements for not just the, the outcome of their, of the product or, you know, the product or the service that they're providing, but the way in which they are, um, the way in which they're, they're, they're performing that service or that they're going about, you know, making that product, you know, how much control are they asserting? That really was, was basically at the, at the heart of, of that analysis kind of makes sense to me. Like I remember when I was studying for the bar exam, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is easy peasy. Makes sense. What happened in 2018 was the, the Supreme Court of California had a case that came, you know, up, up to, like I said, up to this, the, the California Supreme Court. Um, it was called Dynamex. And they said, no, 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 this standard is no longer any good. For whatever reason, they just decided it was it was outdated. And they said, we're going to come out with uh, with this new three-factor test. You know, you've got to meet these, these three elements. And then it eventually became known as the ABC test, because ABC. So then... Um, you know, as is the case with any Supreme Court case, um, really, or even even any kind of an appellate case, there's a possibility that it could be chipped away over time, it could be overruled over time, or Congress can come in or the legislature, local legislature can come in and codify it. And that's what California's legislature did was with AB5 was they said, hey, this is a really great standard. We really like this. And so we want to make sure that this this stays around for a while. So we are going to codify this in the form of AB5. Um, so I will share my screen again so we can take yes. a look at what that ABC test is. So this is the Labor and Workforce Development Agency website. So this is straight from uh, from the California government uh, website here. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to be reading through relevant parts here also um, to uh, for 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 people that are going to be listening in the podcast version, because uh, we're starting to upload these live streams uh, to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and and I'll be I'll be getting getting other platforms up as well. So I'm very excited about that. So I have to I have to kind of retrain myself for people that are not able to see but just listen. Yes. Um, <laughs> so here's here's what they what they say is is the ABC test. Um, they say under the ABC test, a worker is considered an employee and not an independent contractor unless the hiring entity satisfies all three of the following conditions. So what that means is the default is this person is an employee and you have to prove, the employer has to prove that this person is not an employee, but an independent contractor. So so we talk a lot in, in a lot of these, these lawsuits, whether they're criminal cases or civil cases, that the burden of proof uh, is, is typically on the plaintiff. But... Let's say there's a there's a particular plaintiff that uh, files uh, files a a wage and hour claim right uh, against against an employer wage and hour claim meaning you know they didn't get particular they say that they didn't get certain rest breaks certain meal breaks that they were entitled to things like that then the employer can come back and say well you're not an employee so you're not entitled you're not entitled to those things anyway you're an independent contractor as soon as the 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 employee then employee or, you know, the plaintiff, the worker says, well, no, actually I'm an employee and here you go. The, that burden shifts to the employer to say, well, you know, you've actually got to prove this thing now. So 
so the, the, the three following conditions are, number one, the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact. Now, that's very similar to the old standard, right? That's like what I, what I mentioned before. It had a lot to do with how much control the employer had over not just the outcome of, of the work by the, by the worker, but also the, um, uh, the manner in which they did it. Um, so, uh, so that's, that's the first element. The second element um, that they have to show is that the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So this part is, is one of the, one of the hardest parts I think for, for an employer to show, because if you are someone that, that this is just kind of part of your business model is to sort of hire out a lot of these other minor tasks and they're, they're, they're minor and they're not necessarily, you know, core things, but they're in the regular course of your business. That is something that is, um, that is going to be very alarming to a lot of, a lot of employers or, or a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs in this space, because, you know, let's say, for example, let's say, let's say for me, let's say I, you know, I hire, I hire an editor. I hire, you know, somebody to make, make the thumbnails for my videos. Those are all tasks that are well within the scope of, of, you know, my business, but those are all very minor tasks that would be, you know, like that, that wouldn't really, uh, wouldn't really necessarily warrant giving someone, you know, a full employment status, you know, you don't give um, those people benefits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to do like, you know, a, a 10, 10, 15, 20 minutes of work to make a thumbnail, you know? So, I mean, depending on how much bulk you have, right? Because it's like at a certain point, then, then it makes sense to hire someone, you know, for, for a long-term, long-term basis. Right. So, but if you're, if you're in, if you're in an earlier stage of your, of your entrepreneurship, of your startup, you know, situation, then it might not necessarily make sense. So it's, it's one of those things that really kind of puts a stressor on, especially smaller businesses here. Like that's really who's who's impacted by this ABC test, and then finally the last part that they have to show is that is that uh, the employer has to show that the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. So, if this is uh, you could have a, an independent contractor lawyer that's working for a particular company, you know, like I, I, I do, I do contracting work for, for a legal tech company. Um, so I am, I am someone as a lawyer that is in an independently established trade, you know, that's lawyers are, are very often working for themselves. It's very common, you know, but to say that, you know, you've got like a, a random truck driver that, that works for himself or a, or a random limo limo driver that works for himself that that may be something that's a, a little bit harder to show under this kind of an, an analysis right um and so uh so so that's that's the basics of the abc test under ab5 now in the last election in 2020 um there was a there was a measure in california that was uh really pushed by uh of course not a small business big businesses, Lyft and Uber, that was Prop mm -hmm. 22, that they wanted a carve out for their particular um, industries for for basically these, these rideshare companies because they took a look at this ABC test and said, oh, this actually kind of defines exactly all of our Uber drivers, all of our Lyft drivers. Our entire business model would be destroyed by this test. So like we really need to fight against this. And so there were a lot of people um, – uh, that were uh, especially unions that were, I think, that were fighting against 
the 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 passing of Prop 22, and um, and they they it ended up passing. So there's there's that yeah. there's this carve out, and so and that's that's really the irony of this law in California is that, like I said, the ABC test primarily impacts um, these smaller businesses, and the the one carve out that happened did not. Um, did not end up, uh, you know, helping out any small businesses. It ended up helping. I don't know if you could call them big tech, but fairly big tech. I mean, Uber and Lyft uh, are. I mean, Uber at the very least is international. Lyft, I'm not sure, but is definitely national. These are these are not small not small startups anymore. Yeah, they've certainly grown to be big conglomerates, and a lot of big labor proponents use them as scapegoats to say, "Well, let's treat." Let's look at the case of these companies. We keep hearing inklings of drivers saying they're exploited, they don't have benefits. So they go in and say, well, these people need rescuing from unions, these drivers who largely don't want to be unionized. And then they say, well, let's let's give them benefits because they need it. And actually Uber, I think if private companies decide to give workers benefits and, and maybe there's like portable benefits and there's some sort of middle ground you can approach without calling these workers employees that's still being debated whether or not you can encourage portable benefits although i think the freelancers have to look for portable benefits themselves so you're in control of your health care your dental and then not have um companies kind of be at the behest of your healthcare decisions that's another sub conversation and i'm hoping to learn more about that myself because healthcare is a whole nother mess as it relates to workers but a lot of people want to put more constraints on healthcare, not give people choices. And so there will probably be a wider conversation about the benefit discussion. Although that's a really minor piece of why people choose to go into freelancing. You don't hear even anecdotally a gig worker who was an Uber or Lyft driver and say, you know what? I'm driving because I'm just really gung-ho about the benefits. Like I really need benefits right now. And this is not to say that benefits aren't important, but they're very secondary or even tertiary when it comes to what motivates workers to work or pick up different contract gigs. You're going to hear a lot of Uber and Lyft drivers, for instance, say, I really love the flexibility. I love being able to work for both Uber and Lyft, or maybe one or the two, maybe DoorDash, perhaps working for another company on the side. I've met a lot of immigrants too, who are fresh to the United States, who said because of certain limitations to employment as a green card holder, as a person with a work visa, I can't get a full-time job. So I think they found refuge in Uber and Lyft because it's not so strenuous in terms of the barriers to entry for certain workers. So they look to that as an option when they're just fresh out of their home country, settling here in the United States. These are people who come here legally, of course, with documentation. And they find these outlets here and say, this is a good starting point. It's not my end all be all for my career choice. I actually met someone who's a doctor who said that it's really hard for him to immediately explore his profession here. He was a doctor back in, I think, Pakistan. And then he said that he's doing Uber and Lyft because he wants to make money in preparation for going back into the medical field. And you hear this echoed across different, let's say, Uber and Lyft drivers who tell you they love it. They may not like be so uh, loving about it, perhaps, but it's convenient and it pays the bills. But you won't hear abject hatred of it from most workers unless someone is disgruntled. Maybe they found someone to say, let's go after Uber and Lyft, maybe a frivolous lawsuit. You never know. Like they can find mm -hmm. there are a lot of ambulance chasers out there, as you know, in the legal yeah. profession. So they could find some disgruntled former driver who wanted to sue Uber or Lyft 
on some grounds that they were misclassifying them or exploiting them. Although you willingly go into a contract that you signed with the company as a driver, you agree to their terms and conditions. You're using your car to pick up, drop off passengers. So you're really in control of what you do, although you are handed different tasks and responsibilities, but you have the freedom to pick up the route, pick the route you want to choose, the passengers you want to take, you give ratings to passengers, and then you just use that model for yourself and apply that in your in your driving responsibilities. And you can apply that to other type of gig work like this from bigger businesses like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, things of that sort. And so maybe save for a small sampling. Most drivers that I've encountered anecdotally, I've driven Uber, Lyft a couple dozen times, never really hear anything super bad. I, like I said, I think a lot of people, especially if they're immigrants and they're new to the country, they they think it's a refuge for them to get their starting point in, in their career here in the United States because it is really hard to find a job. I know from my family's experience, when you're here just learning English maybe, or you have no idea how the United States work, finding employment is extremely hard if you want to con- contribute to the fabric of this mm-hmm. country because most people think, well, they're not going to come here and work, but a lot of people actually do come here and they really want to work because they didn't have those opportunities in their home country. So as a way to kind of like help people climb the economic ladder, this is a really good introductory tool. Is it perfect? No. Could there be improvements made? Absolutely. But to completely upend the system by classifying the workers as employees, pretty controversial. And that's what California demonstrated especially with the populace there, like California is very, very far to the left. And a plurality of the vote in 2020 voted 56, 57% to allow Prop 22 to go into effect, to Mm -hmm. vote it in under the ballot initiative and for the California government to adopt it into law as a carve out for AB5. So it's really interesting to see that play out, uh, especially the fact that big labor has a big hold in California. They're very influential in Sacramento. Right. And so the people spoke. So maybe the sort of advocacy in Sacramento is really disconnected from the overwhelming majority of California voters. And that's really interesting. Like I said, it's like a schism between the far left and maybe the moderate left in California. And so it's really interesting to just observe that and see what will happen if this were to take hold federally. But in California, even where big labor reigns supreme, the voters said, eh, this is too extreme. We can't afford this. And even if we have our grievances with Uber and Lyft, this is a big, big step too far and away from the intention of trying to make worker freedom palatable to the masses. Yeah. And, and I have, I have another, another anecdote. Um, I'm not an immigrant, but I was also a, (laughs) a, a driver for Uber and Lyft for a while. Um, I don't know if the viewers will be surprised by that or not, but um, after, after I graduated from law school and took the bar exam and I was kind of in between, uh, in between studying and then, and then finding, finding another, finding a job for myself um, to sort of make sure that I was paying my bills and making ends meet. That's what I was doing was driving around Southern California uh, <laughs> with my, with my car and giving rides to people. And honestly, like some of those rides were hilarious because I was, I mean, some of my favorite times to drive were like, it was like, it was very specific. It was like, Friday night at like 10 p.m. because especially in like the beach cities in Orange County because I would be picking people up from dinner and they would they would be or either picking them up from dinner as a group 
and then going, you know, dropping them off at, at some other bar or something. And so they were, they were all like jazzed and happy and maybe a little tipsy, you know, after dinner. And, um, and then like, you know, or sometimes people had been like pre-partying and then they were going to be going out to the bar or something. And people were just like in that, in that perfect zone of like, of like excitement and happiness and like, yeah, like we're all just having fun tonight. And like before they got to the point where they were like sloppy, cause oh, like, no. picking them, like picking them up after, after like, uh, after like a, you know, midnight or 1am, a 2am was particularly bad. Luckily I never had anybody get sick in my car. I, I, there was someone that was like, I was almost maybe could maybe seemed like, like she was going to, but it was all, it was fine. But, but I, but you know, I, um, you know, I, I knew that, that you're not really, you're not going to, you're not going to get rich off of driving, driving Uber and Lyft. Right. You know, so I didn't, uh, you know, obviously view that as anything long-term, but it was a really, I was so grateful for having, for having that as a, as a quick opportunity to just jump into something really quick. I can turn it on and off whenever I want to. If I, you know, if I, if I, if I know I need to make a little bit of money over a weekend, I can, I can drive for, you know, however many hours. My very first, my very first ride actually was I, I, I picked up my very first person and I get there and they were like, Hey, so I know we're in South Orange County. Uh, you could totally reject this ride, but we need to get to Palm Springs. <laughs> and that's like, that's like, that's like a two hour, that's like a two hour it drive is. right there. It's so that hike. was like the the funniest thing that that was like my very first like rider that, that I picked up. There was a couple actually. Um, and they were like, like moving out there. It was a very, it was a very, it's kind of an odd situation with like their, their whole story. But, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it was my, it was my very first one. And I was like, I guess this is normal. Like, I'm going to make sure that I'm like keeping in contact with my family to make sure that <laughs> I don't get, you know, uh, spirited away somehow <laughs> on this trip. But, you know, but, but like you said, um, I, I personally, this is just my experience. I was very grateful for that opportunity to, to jump into something, to make sure that I'm paying my bills. And, and it, it was never, it was never intended by me, you know, and, and every driver that I've ever talked to, I've, I've never seen them, you know, look at it as some kind of a, a long-term plan or mm -hmm. a long-term career. You know, they're either people that are, that are, you know, in the situation that I was in, just sort of filling, filling a particular gap until they did what they were really going to be doing. Um, you know, or like that doctor from Pakistan that you talked about, mm -hmm. you know, or, or like him, him and others that were, um, uh, that were, you know, immigrants that are, that are, you Transitory, know, kind of, yeah. yeah, just sort of like, this is a, this is a, a landing spot and then I'm going to figure out my next step, you know, or I've met people that were, that were like recently retired and they're like, mm -hmm. ah, ah, I've got a pension. I, I've, I have nothing else to do. So I'm just going to have yeah. fun and, you know, talk to people while I, while I drive them in my car. Um, so so yeah, so I, I, I totally, I totally do agree with you. And I think that that's, it's just a, it's, it's also kind of a metaphor for a lot of these other positions that people take in these, um, you know, gig, gig economy mm -hmm. kind of positions, whether they are, you know, uh, driving people around or doing DoorDash or, you know, um, um, you know, uh, having, having, like I said, like, you know, helping somebody with, with an Etsy shop, doing something digital with, with helping people with editing mm -hmm. or making logos or, you know, like, like people, people do these things. Um, uh, not necessarily 
intending for it to be long-term, but maybe being long-term, you know, like, like you yourself, you're, you're a freelance writer. That's, that's, you know, for all intents and purposes, at least appears to be what, what your plan is, you know? Um, so it's, you know, I, I, I do think that, that there is, um, a lot to be said for the fact that people are making these, these choices consciously mm-hmm. and they're making them with their, with their, their free will. Um, Absolutely. And so, and so it seems, it seems to me that you know the vast majority of these cases are people that are uh, that are actually uh, making these uh, in healthy situations. Now there are also, of course, the cases where where people are being being taken advantage of, right? That are that are being, uh, you know, as as I think we, we can both agree that there are situations where people are being misclassified as independent contractors um, just to sort of skirt the laws. Um, on on employment or sometimes sometimes immigration or mm-hmm. you know um, but uh, but that I think for me I think that having the the older standard of of uh, legal analysis for an independent contractor doesn't uh, it doesn't prevent uh, anyone from being able to enforce those laws mm-hmm. nonetheless even without the ABC test. Yeah, absolutely. And my examination into it, even as a non-lawyer, is a lot of the standards that we have in place, they work, they're just not properly enforced. So if someone is really engaging in an egregious abuse of worker misclassification, the laws that are already in the books can be enforced and you punish those employers. Simple as that. But to create new standards where everyone will be presumed to be an exploiter of workers. Every employer is going to be assumed unless they present evidence that they're not, if they have to be subjected to an ABC test, for instance, that creates so much confusion. And in California, let's say for this instance of why they targeted first Lyft and Uber, they thought the law would just, they build it as the law just going after these horrible companies. But what we saw with the law going into effect, it actually affected full-time freelancers, florists, translators, journalists, a lot of journalists in California and freelance writers who were writing high dollar type articles and content, they were capped at 35 articles per publication. And some people hit that threshold in a month. So they would essentially make a year's worth of their salary in a month under the new law. So a lot of journalists were very upset, rightfully so. And you see like bakers and even, like you said, I see lawyers, you could see lots of people, high, highly skilled white collar professionals are now starting to enter the freelance economy because they just are just don't like what, what's happening in their workplace. I think the workplace has become too politicized. A lot of people also realize the limitations of their industries. For me, I realized I couldn't move up in the political industrial complex, as I call it, not because I couldn't compete. I applied to many different places. It just felt like opportunities were scarce unless you had a connection through your parents. You somehow had to maybe not be as outspoken or something. So there were certain biases against you if you weren't somehow connected or if they you weren't like a preference point. And this is just my sinister thinking of, of certain things. Um, but it was really hard to make your mid-level career step for me. And I've heard this from many others who've talked to me privately and said to work in politics, to find your mid-level career, unless you're creating a business or consultant shop. And I do consulting too, because that's how I make most of my money. I would be poor if I just simply relied on writing on a freelance basis, but that is a big chunk of what I do. Uh, I, I noticed that, um, yeah, these, there are, 
you when you're limited in in your in your industry or your field and that's what a lot of people are feeling now i was just kind of on the i would say not cutting edge because there are many people who've been freelancing a lot longer than me in terms of millennials freelancing i would say i'm one of the early cases of millennials going into this full-fledged and there i'm not alone there are millions of other millennials and even gen zers this is actually a very popular option among younger generations our generation and those behind us and we see that the traditional nine to five job is not really amenable to our interests we want to have freedom to choose who we work with we want greater flexible options so we can take time off and not only just have two weeks of vacation I can have more vacation time if I want because I determine the schedule. I determine everything that I do. Certainly like different clients that I have are like, can you at least fulfill basic responsibilities with us? And I'm like, yeah, I will. And then obviously I'm in control of those duties, even though we work together mutually in our contract for me to fulfill certain things, but I'm in control of what I do. And I fulfill tasks asked of me if it's required of me to do so. And yeah, a lot of people will feel the limitations of their careers they don't like that uh, perhaps they have to deal with a mandate from their employer. We see this just recently. Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that big businesses with uh, those who have over 100 employees cannot mandate vaccines on their workers, which is encouraging to me that the Supreme Court ruled in that way. It's encouraging. Yeah. I, I like the result of that, personally speaking, because I thought it was just too wide reaching. A lot of violations for workers impeding on their freedom. And as we're seeing unrelated to this, that the mandates don't really work. We see a lot of influx of cases, higher rates of cases now in cities that institute vaccine passports, in cities and areas that impose more mandates. So it's not really working as a policy. And I think the Supreme Court recognized that and said big employers shouldn't do this. If they want to privately encourage people, that's a whole different story. But from a, from the government mandating businesses to do this, obviously it was found to be illegal and, and they can't proceed with that. So I think people just see just their workplaces evolving into unrecognizable scenes and environments. They don't like perhaps strenuous conditions applied to them. And maybe they realize like they want a better work-life balance. I think people fail to understand that when you work flexibly, you may work a little bit more than 40 hours a week. Not a problem. People work more than 40 hours in nine to five jobs, like lawyers or yep. people on Wall Street. I've heard people <laughs> on Wall Street work 80 hours a week sometimes. Yeah. So could same that in, not same be? Same in law. Yeah. Same in law. Yeah. So it's just a different framework. I also think it's 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 a way for them to extract more revenue from the tax code. So right now, if you're an independent contractor like me, you're paying state federal income taxes. And then you also pay a self-employment tax. I can't imagine what it would be if the PRO Act were to be enacted. They would probably find more ways to, they'd obviously maybe replace the self-employment tax with some other tax. I would be paying union dues because that's ideally what they want to do. It's not just simply moving you back to a nine to five job. They want you to be a traditional employee who is forcibly unionized. The PRO Act has different caveats and, and conditions to it in addition to the ABC test. They want to abolish right to work, which gives people the flexibility to choose whether they want to join a union or not in their workplace. And that should be the option available to workers. They, If they want to join a union, go for it. If you don't want to join a union, you shouldn't be coerced into it. That's existing law. That's great. And we have to keep that in effect. Yeah. And then it also has the thing, let's say those, those two prongs are achieved. Unions are going to have greater oversight over workplaces. And that's why a lot of businesses, small and big, corporations or not, 
are very concerned because they think they're more attuned to the needs of their workers and largely the case they are instead of unions coming in to dictate the affairs to extract private information from workers. So if the, the PRO Act stipulates that if it were to go into effect, union, uh, employers will be at the behest of union bosses to provide all worker information. The worker is not going to know what information, private information is going to be dispersed to these union uh, these union representatives. So it's a huge privacy violation with what they want to put into place too. And there's so many different other uh, uh, components to the law as well. But those three especially stick out as very troubling, very problematic. And so, like I had talked about earlier, people largely choose to not want to unionize because they see that their workers are not happy under those arrangements. There are lots of, obviously, stories about, is Amazon going to ever unionize? Although in the Alabama plant, workers have overwhelmingly rejected attempts to be unionized. In a chicken poultry plant in Delaware, the workers there just voted to get out of the union, which is really right. interesting. You don't hear those stories being covered much. You do hear often, I think Starbucks had their first unionized shop in Washington state and they're picketing things that sort. So certainly there's an appetite for some workers to want to unionize. And they say this is a resurgence of unions because they feel betrayed by corporations or different yeah. conglomerates. And that can be debatable. Of course, there are different problems with corporations. I would say it's more so their ideology uh, <laughs> with what is making them less attractive and, and kind of sh uh, straying away from their in intentional or their original mission statement, like focus on your business, not on politics and delivering products. But yeah, there, there's just so much to extrapolate from this. And like I said, with the trends existing and, and coming out from reputable sources, Pew Research Poll sa said that most gig workers identify as independent contractors, 68%, 67% versus 28% who say they're traditional employees. Mm -hmm. You just talk to more people. You also see even reports from the Labor Department. Over 500,000 people moved to the freelance economy, especially becoming self-employed since the start of the pandemic. And we now have, I think the number of freelancers stayed constant. It was maybe 59 million, according to Upwork, which is a great authority on tracking gig worker participation, freelance worker participation. But they have talked about more so of... Uh, more workers looking into this, the great resignation, which is a very oft discussed phenomenon of just this mass resignation by workers in different offices, big and small. And people say, well, they're checking out from the workforce entirely. That is partly true. But according to some different surveys out, like I said, from the uh, gig platform called Upwork, Upwork noted that about 20 or about 10 million, excuse me, of those workers who are resigning are potentially exploring options to work in the freelance economy. So that's a silver lining, something to be super embraced or a re rather readily embraced. And, and we should welcome that. So even if people are withdrawing themselves from the workforce, I think people forget that they may be looking for other options and maybe finding refuge in the freelance economy. Yeah. And, so, and that's, I, I think, uh, what was it? It was, uh, it was maybe uh, 60 minutes or something that was, they, they had, they had a recent, um, uh, a recent uh, report on this that that oh, there were they? they were focusing on I think South Carolina the green, green no where where was it I think I think it was South Carolina but basically one one particular town um, and saying that um, that they they were interviewing a bunch of employers that were um, particularly uh, like restaurant employers. Uh, we're noticing that they were they were seeing a, a lot of people in retail, people in restaurants. That's where where this great resignation seems to mm -hmm. be happening, and these people are 
are looking for jobs that are uh, not only outside of that that general industry, but also as as you know as we've been talking about that are sort of gig kind of kind of jobs that are virtual, you know, doing doing like virtual assistant jobs. They also they also interviewed um, a, a woman that has had her own company for a long time, sort of setting up people to be virtual assistants for mm -hmm. these various companies. And and mm -hmm. a lot of those people would be impacted by by this sort of like uh, if nationalization of the of the ABC test as well. Yeah. And something we also want to talk about in terms of David Weil's positions um, something that I think it's worth mentioning, it's not just gig workers or people who work on an individual basis. I think, and it's been expressed before by David Weil, that uh, he wants to change the dynamics of how franchises operate. Mm. And let's pull up, maybe you could pull back sure. my article okay. um, about, the, about the joint employer rule. So franchising is part of the freelance economy. I think people don't recognize that. And I've had to learn and familiarize myself a little bit with how they would be affected by these misclassification or reclassification laws and how the uh, people work with these conglomerates. So let's say like a McDonald's or a Five Guys or uh, what is it, Sonic or something of that nature. And so these companies have franchisers who they work with, but these franchisers act kind of independently. Yes, you're communicating and obviously pushing the products or the services of these big businesses, but you kind of operate a little differently or independently of, let's say, the big bosses, the corporation, but you're still carrying out their mission statement. And so David Weil wants to kind of look back to what he implemented, his administrative interpretation from 2015 to make it harder for uh, franchises to operate. And I'm going to pull back from my article quickly to read this. So I'm not yeah. any misinformation. Yeah. Well, I can, I can, how about, how about I'll, I'll read your, your fantastic words here from, from your oh, yeah. you go for article. It. Go for it. Uh, so for anyone, for anyone listening. Um, uh, so you wrote aside from taking the gig economy, while would also seek to undermine franchise businesses further by expanding the definition of a joint employer under the FLSA to include operations who have indirect control over their employees. He is expected to rely on his 2016 AI on joint employers for guidance, making franchise companies liable for the actions of individual franchisee employees. The effects of his 2016 rule change had devastating effects on franchises. Between 2016 and 2018, these businesses paid $33.3 billion a year in costs, lost 376,000 jobs, and witnessed a 93% increase in joint employer lawsuits filed against them. That's huge. Yeah. That, that is, is not getting massive. discussed. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, this is actually what, what you wrote. <laughs> That's not for me. Um, in 2016, while promulgated an expansion of DOL's white-collar overtime rule that extended mandatory pay to 4.2 million workers, the regulation doubled the salary threshold for exempt status from $23,660 to $47,446 annually. In August 2017, a U.S. district court in Texas struck down the rule after determining that the that the Labor Department had overstepped its rulemaking authority. If this overtime rule were to be adopted today, the Small Business and Entrepreneurial Council has warned such a revision could harm small businesses as our work as our economy works to recover from the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yikes! Yeah, 
yeah, people don't think of franchises as small businesses, but they are, even though they are at the behest of these bigger companies. And yeah, so we have to band with a franchise company. So it he would attack millions of workers in this country, whether they work independently of companies or they work in sync with companies, but operate independently as franchises. And so could you imagine how that would upend the economy if all these rules changes were to go into effect? Like that mm -hmm. scares me personally speaking. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's yeah. why the business community has been so opposed to David Weil. And actually yesterday, the Senate Help Committee, which oversees these type of nominations for labor and related departments, they just went through with voting to proceed with his nomination. And we will soon learn whether or not the full Senate will vote to confirm him. He was previously under oath to kind of talk about his credentials. And he actually didn't make it out of committee last time in August. I think he was stuck with an 11-11 committee vote. So his uh, nomination was stalled and then they renominated him. And now it seems like he will go up for a full Senate vote. I don't know what the timeline is for that yet. But that's why you see a lot in the business community from big businesses to small businesses to one person businesses like myself, really alarmed at his writings, some of his expressed goals, uh, his potential to, to change rules, obviously different indicators to really just weaken businesses in this country, especially those still reeling from the onslaught of the pandemic. And they just don't learn from past mistakes, in, in my view. They're, they're not listening to the business owners. They're not listening, listening to the entrepreneurs. And they're wanting to impose these really onerous regulations to make it harder to, to own and operate a business, whether you're working for yourself or you're working for someone else and you have multiple gigs. So to me, it seems like this should be an area where everyone can come together. If you support small business, this is the issue to really take on and to to kind of get on board with, I, I don't know if anyone watching is going to be empowered to get involved politically, but there are ways where you could truly make your voice heard on this issue. One group that I do recommend is called the Fight for Freelancers, which is a broad-based kind of grassroots coalition that I'm uh, indirectly a part of. I'm in their Facebook group. It's a great way just to exchange ideas and, and learn. Oh gosh, they're wonderful organizations. Like I said, Independent Women's Forum is really on the cutting edge supporting freelancers. There's Americans for Tax Reform. There's also the American for, or the Institute for the American Worker is a phenomenal free market labor rights organization. I've been talking to them on and off for many months and they're doing great work. And I think you're going to hear more from them. And there's just many ways to get involved. And I can happily share some tips and suggestions for how to get involved and for how to fight for freelancers. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, Give me, send me links to all of those, those different groups um, after we're, after we're done. Cause I'll, I'll add them to the description in the, uh, below the video so that people can, can readily check those out. Um, and then I'll, I'll do the same when I, when I upload this uh, audio to the, to the, the podcast. Um, but uh, that's, I mean, that, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that there's, there's some, there's some potential marching orders if people are, are feeling particularly incensed about this subject. Mm -hmm. Um so, uh, so other than, I mean, other than that, I mean, it sounds like this is, this is a, a lot of, this is like some of the, some of the main stuff that is, is possibly potentially concerning about, about David Weil, um, you know, serving, serving again in this, in this sort of capacity, especially coming right out of this com 
pandemic, which we're still very yes. much in, but you know, the, the economy is, is it, it's trying to recover while we're still in it. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, job, the, 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 the jobs numbers, didn't that just come out recently for this very dismal. last quarter? Yeah. 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 Um, so it's, it's, you know, one of, one of these situations where we really Plugging need my to, computer uh, in. <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. One moment. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> So, but I'll just, I'll keep talking for the viewers though, but this is just kind of one of those situations where, you know, our, our, our economy, we're, we're really trying to, um, I'm just telling the viewers while you're, while we're waiting, um, that, you know, it's, it's one of the situations back. where this is, oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> where, um, you know, the, the, the economy is trying to recover. We're trying to get, get people out there back into jobs, into whatever jobs that they are you know, finding most, most particularly fulfilling or what they want to do, you know, with it can, all considerations for the great resignation that's going on at the same time. And so these kinds of regulations are potentially concerning because it could possibly hobble our, our, our ways of, of getting back to where we were before mm -hmm. what March, 2020, when everything kind of crashed. Absolutely. And I think, like I said, the market is trending or the job market, I would say, is trending in this direction where you're not constrained by your workplace. You don't necessarily have to go into an office anymore. People really like the remote option or virtual option, so to speak. Also, people kind of like a hybrid setting. Maybe they'll want to spend some time at home and maybe go to the office. And for the longest time, for some reason, businesses rejected kind of flexible options, yet the pandemic obviously thrown onto all of us. A lot of people realize that maybe we don't have to be stuck in these constraints and that we could still run efficiently and my workers and employees can be happy or individual workers can be happy and fulfilled and, and be in control of, of their careers more so or, or their business operations more so. And for me, personally speaking, I just love being able to select and choose who to work with. Like, And I have the luxury and fortune of being able to travel for my line of freelancing because mm -hmm. I have to go outdoors to kind of see different things happening. I've visited fracking sites. I've seen bear conservation in, in the flesh. I've seen different things and, and my job requires me to travel and I love it. So it's not just tedious work where I'm just stuck at home working from my computer. I'm actually having to see things in the field, which I really love. And I think in other industries too, where freelancers work, they can also determine and fine tune a, um, different activities where they can enjoy the work they do. So your work is not stuffy and boring and you're, you're fun and you're feeling fulfilled and you're happy and you get to explore the country, you get to work with phenomenal people. And so you don't really get that sometimes in a traditional workplace sometimes. Yes, you do get to travel. I used to travel a lot for my old work job or for my old job, excuse me. But like for this, I get to choose like my travel schedule. I get to choose where I get to go. I'm not just told by dictate, like you have to go here. I get to pick and choose my accommodations. I get to pick and choose different things and activities to do on the side once my work responsibilities are fulfilled. I try to enjoy my travel when I go for work because work travel should be fun and enjoyable. I, I fully believe that. And <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, and let's say like you want to get married and start a family it's really easy to withdraw yourself from the workforce when you're participating in the gig economy or freelance economy. Cause you could say, I'm going to pause my business to raise my child. I'm going to go on maternity leave for a few months, or I'm going to go on maternity leave for six months or a year. And then you can come back to your business. You can alert your clients that you're returning and say, Hey, I'm back open for business. Let's resume where we left off. Especially mm -hmm. if you have great relationships with the clients you work with. And you don't really get that much 
sometimes in a traditional work setting, I know a lot of people have said like, well, there has to be improved family paid leave. There has to be this, or I work too much. I don't feel like I can focus on my family. So with these flexible options coming into play, I think you're going to see more conversations about accommodations for better policies to make it easier for people to choose what's best for them, uh, to give them more time off. And like I said, people don't want constraints. They want freedom to choose who they work with, where to work, how to work. They love the flexibility that comes with this. This is universally accepted among all Americans, regardless of age, race, sex, geographical location, uh, education status, and even work level experience. So this is one unifying, I would say, sector of the economy. And I think it's even part of, part of the greater decentralization movement. And people really shrug at that term. They shrug at it because of, let's say, like digital currency, like non-fungible tokens. And while I don't dabble into Bitcoin, I'm very sympathetic to it being able to exist because it is a decentralized form of currency mm-hmm. and of the economy too, kind of like gig work is. And so mm-hmm. I can at least symbolically support it because government is trying to regulate it and put constraints on it and, and not allow it to flourish. And same, same what they're doing with the freelance economy. So decentralization should be welcomed and embraced in many tenants and facets of life. I'm a firm believer in that. I know some watching may not share that, but I think when you offer people these decentralized options, whether it's a format or a decentralized form of currency, it gives people greater latitude to do what they want to do and and to not harm anyone and to live freely. I think in the United States, we should be able to still have those options and really inspire the rest of the world to adopt similar measures too, and to, to allow for worker freedom. And yeah, like I said, let's not make decentralization a dirty term. I think it, yeah, that's been a longstanding tradition in the United States. It should be a tradition here. Uh, Like our families experienced in the Soviet union. I know my family did. Everything was so centralized. And for me to, not embrace that, I think, is making my relatives who had suffered very, very proud. And, and I think they would be very encouraged by seeing what I'm doing now, even though they're not here on earth anymore. They're deceased, yeah. unfortunately. And so kind of uh, honoring my family as a first generation American, I think this is a, a way to <coughs> showcase to people that we have these options available to us. Many parts of the world don't, or they're very highly regulated. And if we can't allow this last bastion of freedom through the freelance economy to really explore your entrepreneurial chops to flourish. And you see more uh, constraints placed on it, more regulations, more red tape to make it harder for you to work flexibly, flexibly, or to be labeled as a traditional employee when you're not, we could descend into some very, very dark paths. And we don't want to see that here in the United States. But like right. I said, if you want to join a union and be an employee, go ahead, but also give us the latitude in the freelance economy to identify and work the way that we want to work. So that's kind of what I wanted to conclude on. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, uh, and let me get, I, I do have a super chat that I, I, I neglected to get to at the beginning, but <laughs> the Kenosha County, I, uh, has said legal bites for president. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and I'm so glad that you, you, uh, you came in and, and supported, um, so, uh, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm not running, uh, no, no time <laughs> soon, probably never, but, um, I don't know. I don't know that anyone would actually want to see how that would turn out, but, <laughs> uh, but I do appreciate the sentiment. Um, so, so, but that's, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, I, I think, I think that's, those are, those are some really great points. Um, and I think, um, how, so I guess we'll, we'll leave with this. How can, how can people get in touch with you? 
Well, since most people are probably watching on YouTube or some sort of streaming service, I do have a YouTube presence and I do appreciate you tagging me. It's very kind of you to do that. That's a first channel or portal you can connect with me. I also have all my social media accounts linked there. It's actually really easy to find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter because I am denoted by a blue check mark. And I'm grateful to the social media companies for recognizing that because I've had people try to. You're one of those accounts. blue check marks. You're part <laughs> but I'm of the not blue check mark mafia. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not yeah. elitist. And I'm yeah, one of the true. few blue checks who is not, I would say, uh, very kind of like, you know, put your nose up and, and look down on people <laughs> who are not verified. I, I'm definitely not like that. I'm a lot of fun on social media too. I try to invite people for conversation. I don't try to talk about politics everywhere I go. Twitter is my mm -hmm. mostly political format. Instagram, mm -hmm. I like to showcase like my fishing and travel pictures or outdoor adventures. Um, I also have a website called GabriellaHoffman.com where you can see my past case studies for client work. I post blog posts there. I also run a podcast for those of you who care about the energy environment and natural resources beat. I focus largely on public policy there and I break down different laws, good and bad, or bills, good and bad. I have or, uh, original interviews with different newsmakers, whether they're lawmakers or you know someone who is a upstart activist or a nonprofit manager, things of that sort. I invite really interesting folks to come on and chat with me about the great outdoors and how best to keep and preserve them. You can find my work at independentwomensforum.org or iwf.org. You can I, I explore more about the gig economy there. Young Voices program, you type in my name, you'll find some of my work there as well. I write a regular town hall column on Fridays and sometimes on Mondays in their VIP column section. Today, I actually explored some good legislation in the Virginia General Assembly, including a bill to protect independent contractors. And maybe another topic we could talk about later, we still have these government-run alcohol liquor stores, which boggle my mind. The only good thing California had in place policy-wise was no ABC stores. So we have a bill to abolish the ABC stores here in Virginia. Hopefully that goes through. And I talk about some interesting I had legislation. I've never heard of that before. It's That's an East Coast the, thing. An actual government-run liquor stores. DC does not have this, but Virginia we've come, does. We've come a Maryland long way from the numbers. prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like 90 years later. And so I, I, I like to focus on interesting stories. Like I may even, like I said, dabble into like abolishing ABC stores a bit more because I'm not a drunk or anything of that nature. I believe everything in moderation, but you won't be able to change people's drinking behaviors if you put government in charge of this. And I listed in my column actually how there was a lot of excessive force used by the agency for cases that should not have resorted to excessive force. So that's a, a common conversation here in Virginia, like the agency needs to be reined in or privatized because of misgivings. From the past, there were cases where they hassled a girl for buying non-alcoholic LaCroix beverages. They beat up another UVA student because he presented a supposed fake ID to get into a bar. So there will be a conversation about that. So that's something I look into huh. as well. Okay. But yeah, I focus a lot about Virginia. If anyone lives in Virginia and is interested about kind of the future of our new state government, I'm actually personally very optimistic about it. I think Virginia can become a business friendly state again. I think you're going to see a lot of improvements to worker freedom and many, many other interest areas because we were lagging behind actually a lot of our neighbors in the Carolinas, West Virginia, and some other nearby states. So I think Virginia is going to be on everyone's radar very soon. And if you want to start a business here, it's going to be easier. It's going to be a more business friendly climate. We're not going to have as many COVID restrictions in place, which is wonderful. And I think you're going to see Virginia really stand out economically. And uh, we welcome you guys to come 
to visit and maybe even move here. I think a lot of people I do really love, enjoy it. I do love Virginia. Uh, I, I I haven't lived there myself, but obviously I've visited you there quite a bit from living in DC. Um, and it's just, it's, it's great. I, I, especially, I mean, I, 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 I adore Alexandria, especially old town Alexandria. It's just, it's wonderful. It's beautiful, but, but there's so much of, there's so much else in Virginia that's, that's to be, to yes. be loved. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I totally echo your sentiments there. And, uh, and one last super chat before we go out, because this is of course my brother, Andy, the game maker oh, says, hey, good Andy. morning, Gabby. So I know it's been, it's been a while <laughs> since you and he talked, I know, um, but, but he was, he was on that same, that same ill-fated yes. <laughs> trip through SFO, the, the, the long, <laughs> long, the long 15 hours of, oh no, it's just, it's just one more hour delay. It's just one more hour delay. Um, <laughs> that was fun, <laughs> but, um, uh, fun childhood stories. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, so, so aside from that, so everybody uh, be sure to check out Gabby's, Gabby's work. I mean, you can find her obviously in so many different places. Um, places. I've got a couple of them already linked in the description <laughs> below, but I'll probably be updating that with some of this other stuff like your website and, and maybe some of these other, other locations as well. Um, and so be sure, be sure to check her out. Um, you know, subscribe to her channel. If you want to see those kind of interviews, one of one that, that went particularly viral was, a was, a, a, a an interview with governor Noam. Yes. Of Christy Noam of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. She's that very was, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really, that was a really great one. And, and I, I think you weren't even monetized yet or something. That was one that, no. that I think that I think helped you get monetized, which was yes. very exciting. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, a lot of interesting stuff on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can, you can go, go, go and yell at her for being, being part of the blue check mafia. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll and, find uh, me retweeting a lot of Elita's takes, which I'm happy <laughs> to do and support. And it's such a pleasure to chat with you. I'm so impressed by the YouTube growth you had. You told me you're like, Gabrielle, I'm going to start a YouTube account. And it's been amazing. And a testament to the fact that you're such a hard worker and you've cracked ah. the YouTube algorithm fantastically. You. So I'm so proud of you for the growth. And I'm really honored that you had me come of chat course. with you on this format. You're going to yeah. come onto my channel of at some course. point so people can learn about your legal work. And yeah. uh, we'll be able to cross pollinate hopefully a little more. If you want more topics yeah. discussed, we can weigh into environmental law. We can weigh into alcohol and anything else you have an interest in. That so thank you for having great. me on. That sounds awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for being on here. And thank you for being one of my, one of my earliest supporters. I mean, I remember when, you know, when I, I, I told a bunch of friends and family and stuff that I was, that I was starting this channel and you were the first person that was like, heck yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll amplify your channel to my, like whatever 50,000 followers or whatever you have on Twitter. And like, and I was just like, oh my God, you have so many people like that's crazy. Um, and so it's, it's been, it's been, you know, from, from very humble beginnings and, and we're, you know, I, continue we're continuing the grind um and and it's i mean it's it's you know a lot of the people watching probably probably know this already but a lot of that growth was was attributed to to being part of lawtube yes. and particularly being part of part of lawtube at a time when when the Kyle Rittenhouse trial was going yes. on so so I, I grew, I know, I know, I know Nick Ricada's channel was, was the, was the main centerpiece there. His channel grew good logic, you know, uncivil law, everybody, everybody saw, saw some, some really great, uh, really great growth because of that. And it's, and I'm so grateful for it. So thankful for it. Um, and I'm really thankful for the community that, that we've been able to sort of, uh, establish and, and grow and whatnot. And I'm really grateful that you're part of this community too now. So it's great. I love it. So 
so with that i guess we'll we'll cut that off and uh and we'll we'll uh end the stream and we'll see you guys in the next video um after this uh coming up actually relatively soon i'm gonna be going live again just to talk about the the supreme court uh vaccine uh mandates so there there are opinions that came out yesterday on those so um with that i'll like i said i'll see you in the next video okay Bye, everyone thanks for getting to know you <laughs> bye <laughs>